Welcome to the Lecture Library Live. Recordings from the literary events hosted by the Stonehill College English Department and Creative Writing Program in partnership with the Chet Ramo Literary Series. In this episode, we welcome poet Laylee Long Soldier. The introduction is by Professor Amra Brooks, Director of the Creative Writing Program at Stonehill College. Before we get started tonight, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that the place we now call Stone Hill is located on the unceded ancestral land of the Wampanoag people. The Wampanoag or people of the first light are still here and on the land they've stewarded and have held sacred for over 12,000 years. Indigenous people all over our country are impacted today by the same colonialism and oppression that continues to compromise their safety. It is part of our work to honor this land, the Wampanoag, and to work to dismantle colonialism and structural racism. I offer this acknowledgement so we don't forget this connection. Tonight, I have the honor to introduce Lely Long Soldier. Her first volume of poetry, Whereas, won the National Book Critics Circle Award and the Penn Jean Stein Book Award and was a finalist for the National Book Award. In 2015, Long Soldier was awarded a National Artist Fellowship from the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation and a Lannan Literary Fellowship. She was awarded a Whiting Writers Award in 2016. Long Soldier is a citizen of the Oglala Lakota Nation and lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In Whereas, many of the poems explore loss, violence, and the attempted erasure of indigenous culture. She uses the language of Barack Obama's 2010 congressional resolutions of apology to Native Americans to bring to light its inequities, failures, and insult. The poems investigate apology and authenticity. In one of my classes after reading Laylee's work, we spent the better part of a semester scrapping everything that I had planned and discussing the very questions she explores. What is a real apology? How does one take responsibility both for a small wound or for genocide? How do we feel the pain of all the past generations of trauma in our present bodies? She so generously offers up these questions as openings or portals for us to reckon with concretely as we look at the history that this land holds, that our body holds, but we also start to look deeply inside our minute daily interactions, the spaces where we hold ourselves and each other accountable, at the wounds we carry or create. The poems examine many aspects of identity and intersectionality, Laylee writes, I am a person with diverse concerns and I occupy many roles, a woman, mother, educator, writer, artist, tribal member, thinker, and so on. It is important to me that all of these aspects are evident in a body of work, if not a single poem. I have also read that she set out to write a book about grasses when she started this collection. I was thinking this week about how I experienced grasses in a totally new way after reading her book, that every time I meet them, I think of her work and what it opens in me of the history of these grasses, of the land on which they grow, of all that was here before me, of the stories, the land holds, our bodies in relation to the land, my footprint on this grass. Every sense is engaged as you read Long Soldier. You hear, smell, taste, see, feel the grasses. The book opens with this short poem. Now make room in the mouth for grasses, grasses, grasses. And later in the book in her poem 38 about the Sioux uprising, she writes, quote, one trader named Andrew Myrick is famous for his refusal to provide credit to the Dakota people by saying, if they are hungry, let them eat grass. When settlers and traders were killed during the Sioux uprising, one of the first to be executed by the Dakota was Andrew Myrick. 
When Myrick's body was found, his mouth was stuffed with grass, end quote. Here she lays bare a fact that changes the way we look at grass, the way she has woven it into the poems, the way we might make room for the word in our mouths. I am full of gratitude for Lely's language for what she has called gentle urgency, her instinct, her attention, her pause, her lens. I am so honored to welcome you. I will now turn it over to you, Lely. Long soldier. Hi, thank you, Amra. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to be here and I'm, I'm sad that I can't be with all of you in person, but I'm grateful that at least we have the means to meet each other and to share art and poetry anyway through this sort of platform. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, a lot is happening this week. <laughs> I think maybe, I don't know if any of you are like me, I am feeling it uh, and a lot of uh, sort of anticipation. There's a lot of things happening in the news and even for some of us with our relatives, health concerns and so on. So I think uh, even to take some time out today to share some poetry, that's, it's so beautiful, you know, to be able to do that uh, just for a few minutes, you know, to get our mind elsewhere. So once again, thank you, Amra, for inviting me. Um, I'm going to read a few poems. As I understand it, some of the um, students have uh, read Whereas, and um, if you're here, and you have the book with you, I am going to read from the book a, a few pieces. And then after that, I'm actually going to, I made a whole PowerPoint, which is so exciting because I'm not very techie. So, <laughs> so I actually made a PowerPoint and I'm going to share some um, visual work along with um, some, some of my poems. Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, share some of that and talk about that. Uh, some of it is actually directly connected to um, whereas as well. So I thought I would share a little of my journey, my history, uh, um, getting to this, the book form of those poems. And then I might, depending on how much time, I might share some more recent work. Um, okay, I'm going to start, actually, I'm going to read from section two. I'm just going to jump there. And section two is titled, Whereas, and that starts on page 57. And I'm going to read, begin with an introduction to this, that section. Uh, for those of you who are maybe not familiar with uh, the context of um, those poems. So basically, the second section is responding to the National Apology to Native Americans. So that was a congressional resolution. So I'll read a little um, introduction and then a few pieces from, from whereas. On Saturday, December 19th, 2009, it's hard to believe it's over a decade now. It's just so hard to believe how quickly uh, time has gone by. But in uh, December 2009, US President Barack Obama signed the Congressional Resolution of Apology to Native Americans. No tribal leaders or official representatives were invited to witness and receive the apology on behalf of tribal nations. President Obama never read the apology aloud publicly. Although for the record, Senator uh, Sam Brownback, five months later, uh, read the apology to a gathering of five tribal leaders. Uh, though there are more than 560 federally recognized tribes in the US. So uh, you know, five months later, this apology was read to 
less than a room full of our tribal leaders. But around the nation, there are over 560 tribal nations. Um, the apology was then folded into a larger unrelated piece of legislation um, called the 2010 Defense Appropriations Act. And I, as I understand it, that is the way things um, get passed through Congress and so forth. They get tacked on to larger bills or larger acts. Um, but anyway, that's how this apology was, um, how it was moved through Congress. My responses directed to the apologies delivery, as well as the language crafting and arrangement of the written document. I am a citizen of the United States and an enrolled member of the Oglala Sioux tribe, meaning I'm a citizen of the Oglala Lakota nation. And in this dual citizenship, I must work, I must eat, I must art, I must mother, I must friend, I must listen, I must observe, constantly I must live. I'm going to turn to, again, if for the students, if you have the book, uh, I'm gonna turn to page 63, whereas, at four years old, I read the first chapter of the Bible aloud. I was not Christian. Whereas my hair unbraided ran the length of my spine, I sometimes sat on it. Whereas at the table, my legs dangled. I could not balance peas on my fork. Whereas I used my fingers carefully, I pushed the bright green onto silver tines. Whereas, <clears throat> You eat like a pig, the lady said, setting my plate on the floor. Whereas she instructed me to finish on my hands and knees, she took another bite. Whereas I watched folds of pale curtains, inhale and exhale, a summer dance. Whereas in the breath of the afternoon room, each tick of the clock. Whereas I rose and placed my eyes and tongue on a shelf above the table first. Whereas I kneeled to my plate, I kneeled to the greatest questions. Whereas that moment I knew who I was, whereas the moment before I swallowed. I'm going to read um, then the next piece on page 64. And this piece uh, maybe relates to the end of the piece before it in the sense of knowing who we are, knowing who I am. <clears throat> uh, I think that maybe knowing who we are comes from the outside 
how others view us, that forms a sense of self and also from within, you know, uh, and also from our relatives and so on and so on and so on. So there's many ways of knowing who we are, but this piece is one of those ways um, that I understand myself. Whereas I did not desire in childhood to be a part of this, but desired most of all to be a part, a piece combined with others to make up a whole, some but not all of something. In Lakota, it's hanke, a piece or part of anything. Like the creek trickling behind my auntie's house where uncle built her a bridge to cross from bank to bank, not far from a grassy clearing with three teepees, a place to gather. She holds three-day workshops on traditional arts. Young people from Kyle and Potato Creek arrive one by one, eager to participate. They have the option, my auntie says, to sleep at home and return in the morning but by and large, they'll stay and camp even during South Dakota winters. The comfort of being together. I think of plains winds, snow drifts, ice and limbs, the exposure. And when I slide my arms into a wool coat, I put my hand to the doorknob, ready to brave the sub-zero dark. Someone says, be careful out there. Always consider the snow your friend. Think badly of it, snow will burn you. I walk out remembering that for millennia, we have called ourselves Lakota, meaning friend or ally, this relationship to the other. Some but not all, still our peace to everything. Um, last piece uh, from the whereas um, section is on page 65. So I'm just, I just read uh, the three pieces as they appear in the book, in the order, whereas. And this piece, actually, before I begin, I'll just note um, that um, this piece I'm, re I'm closing with here is uh, a poem I consider to be like the heart of this whole book. And so it is a kind of meditation, um, a sort of, I spent some time thinking about apology and what that means and, um, and how that can change oneself and it can change relationship altogether, a sincere apology. So this is a piece that I wrote about um, my dad, my father, and it was, it was life changing, like a turning point in my life. Um, so this was long ago. I had this moment in my twenties with my dad and I made him um, breakfast and uh, he apologized for uh, some, some things when I was young. And so it actually changed. It was like, it, it changed so much, not just between the two of us, but also internally. It was very necessary and very healing. So that's the power I think that a, um, a real and a sincere apology the, the power, the effect that it can have on us. I consider this a kind of heart, like an emotional heart of the book. So, <clears throat> whereas I heard a noise I thought was a sneeze at the breakfast table, pushing eggs around my plate, I wondered if he liked my cooking thought about what to talk about. 
He pinched his fingers to the bridge of his nose, squeezed his eyes. He wiped. I often say he was a terrible drinker when I was a child, not afraid to say it because he's different now. Sober, attentive, showered, eating. But in my childhood, when things were different, I rolled onto my side, my hands together as if to pray, locked between my knees. When things were different, I lay there for long hours, my face to the wall blank, my eyes left me, my soldiers, my two scouts to the unseen. And because language is the immaterial, I never could speak about the missing. So perhaps I cried for the invisible <clears throat> what I could not see doubly. What is it to wish for the absence of nothing? There at the breakfast table as an adult, wondering what to talk about if he liked my cooking, pushing the invisible to the plate's edge, I looked up to see he hadn't sneezed, he was crying. I'd never heard him cry, didn't recognize the symptoms. I turned to him when I heard him say, I'm sorry I wasn't there, sorry for many things. Like that curative voicing, an opened bundle or medicine or birthday wishing my hand to his shoulder. It's okay, I said, it's over now, I meant it. Because of our faces blankly, because of a lifelong stare down, because of centuries in sorry. I think also, you know, a big part of healing is understanding ourselves, not just ourselves, but our family. Sorry, I don't know how I got onto this subject of healing, but whatever. Um, the thing, <laughs> I think that a big part of healing, oh, I know why I was thinking about apology and how healing that was. Um, but also I think understand, um, coming to a place where we understand ourselves, not just personally, but our families, you know, our parents in the larger context of who we are as a people, you know, um, I think I'm just reflecting on uh, things as a young person, how, how, how important that was, I think also for being um, compassionate and understanding, like with things in, in our family or with my father, what have you. So what I'm gonna do, uh, I, I know in, in the um, introduction that Amra, thank you so much, that was, so, that was such a beautiful introduction. And one thing that you talked about was maybe the, the idea of like loss and um, I think maybe you mentioned violence and genocide and all those, some of those things that are uh, addressed in the national apology and to some degree in my response to it, you know, I have sort of um, taken a look at some of that. I wanted to share with all of you something that is on the other side of the coin that is not always uh, a way of working, that is not always focused on loss and, and um, devastation and violence, but also work that um, is nourishing and maybe is working to, to create relationship, connection, um, cultural knowledge, um, reaching out to community. 
and um, I think uh, a way of growing for myself as an artist. So I, I wanted to do that because um, we're in a pandemic and we need to have fun and, and do other kinds of stuff too, right? So what I'm gonna do, uh, I, I'm gonna share, see, look, my smile is back. I, I actually love uh, sharing uh, like visual work and stuff like that. Cause I, I like to, I feel like an octopus. I like to have my um, arms moving in different directions uh, and that brings me energy. So I do like to work visually, but often when I'm working in one medium, it, it begins to inform um, other ways I'm working. So I wanted to share with you um, the, the beginnings of whereas my book, I opened the book. Those of you that have the book, the whole book is open with a little poem, like on page one or whatever. Page five actually, uh, that says now make room in the mouth for grasses, grasses, grasses. And I've heard uh, so many people have asked me about that little poem and I've heard commentary on it and different sort of uh, ways of uh, viewing that, that little poem now make room in the mouth for grasses, grasses, grasses. But I'm gonna share with you guys, I actually have never really shared this with anyone uh, where that poem first came from. It came from an installation titled Buffalo Book. Um, so I did this for a show called Pte Oyate. Pte Oyate means buffalo people, buffalo, uh, yeah, buffalo people, I guess you would say, or family in a way. So these are, uh, we consider um, in our culture, um, probably you guys already know the buffalo, the bison are very central to uh, Northern Plains culture. You guys know that, right? Like all of those herds that used to travel. Um, and so they were a big part of our um, culture and uh, our history. And there are actually many like beliefs and kind of um, ways of doing things that, that show that connection um, between our people and the Buffalo people as we understand them. So. Uh, there was a, a show up north in South Dakota uh, with other Lakota artists. Um, and so we were all meditating on this idea of our relationship with the buffalo, Pte Oyate. And this was my, um, this was what I did. <laughs> so you'll see here, I made this dress. Uh, I, I called it my buffalo robe. And I laugh because when I delivered it to the gallery, uh, to the Heritage Center, um, the girl there, I said, she said, oh, that, that's so cool. What is that? I said, it's, it's a buffalo robe. And she was another young Lakota uh, girl, young woman. And she just gave me the funniest look like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so it's not really like a buffalo robe, but in my head it was. And um, I used, all of this is made with a window screen. Um, I tend to use materials that are very accessible, mostly in hardware stores. So all of this is made out of a black window screen, silver window screen. Um, inside I have made a dress form out of chicken wire. And inside the buffaloes, it's hard to see, you can see it maybe on this one. Um, there's text. So I have text inside of each buffalo. So um, the reason I'm showing you this is this is the front, the front of the dress. In the back, you saw that there were uh, buffaloes sewn onto the back of it. And this is actually where that poem that opens up my book, Whereas, came from. In each of those buffaloes along the back, one, two, three, four, I have little poems inside there. So here's those little poems here. And this is what I wrote. Um, this is the book I've been meaning to write. 
an account of each family member before me, after, to pronounce the names, sound out each letter, make a space in the mouth for the grasses, grasses, grasses. And so in fact, that little poem that opens up, whereas it actually started out from a project that was not focused so much on genocide or loss or violence, but it was a community uh, exhibit and it was work done um, to sort of meditate on our relationship, our long historical relationship with buffalo and bison. And also it was an opportunity for me to um, collaborate with other community members. And this is one of the things I wanted to show you I was most proud of. Inside, inside this piece is like little words strung down the middle. It's what I call the spine. And those are actually names of uh, families in our community with the word bull, B-U-L-L, -L, in their name. It's very common in Northern Plains families, Lakota families, Dakota families, you'll come across uh, family names with the word bull in it. Bull does not refer to the cow. <laughs> it's usually referring to uh, buffalo, the buffalo bull. And so um, I got to collaborate with, or just, I uh, was calling people and, messaging them, relatives and other people in our community to ask them, um, you know, if they could think of names with bull in it. And um, this is just a sample. There's many, many more names. But um, so we have, for example, Sitting Bull, Bull Man, that was my grandma's name, her last name, um, Black Bull, Left Hand Bull, Jumping Bull, Three Bulls, Short Bull, Crazy Bull, Two Bulls, Bull Child, Medicine Bull, Brown Bull, Thunder Bull, Bull Chief, Tall Bull, Wallowing Bull, Red Bull, Yellow Bull, Spotted Bull, Bad Heart Bull, Plain Bull, Bull Bear, White Bull, Eagle Bull, and you will come across many other <laughs> family names. And that is also all honoring all of those family names come from usually one particular person in the family where um, when the settlers came, they made us take last names. So most of our last names come from one particular figure in our family. And that figure, uh, if they had bull in their name, it was because maybe they had some kind of attribute or quality that was connected, you know, um, to the tatanka, the um, buffalo or the bison. Okay, what I'm gonna do then, just for a few more minutes then is uh, maybe share some imagery from an installation I had at the same time that I was um, working on the, the written pieces in this book. I had another installation up north in South Dakota uh, and titled, Whereas We Respond. What I wanted to do was, as I was uh, looking at this national apology, I thought it would be interesting to hear from our community and to see some of their responses to the apology. And um, maybe just to get a gauge, like was I being overly sensitive? Um, were other people okay with it or were they picking up on some of the same things what have you and so um i wanted to hear from more people besides just myself so what i did uh i wrote the director of the heritage center or the curator there excuse me at the time and i asked if they'd be interested in hosting that um that was at red cloud indian school um, and you'll see uh, what we did. And they said, yes, they would love to host an installation. So what I did, you can see this space, there's a back wall, there's a right wall, and there's a left wall. And this is just a column in front. And what I did was I took three sections of the National Apology. And I um, 
and I, uh, what do you call it, projected, projected the text onto three different walls. And in front here, you can see like a cart. There's like markers. We put paint brushes, paints, acrylics, markers, um, graphite, anything we could think of on this cart. And we invited the community to come and write directly on the walls, uh, maybe to interact with that text. Um, and yeah, just respond in their own ways. So this is what we saw. This happens to be a group. This was very early, like the first couple days of the um, exhibit. And this was a group of um, high school students that came. Um, they were so beautiful, so smart. This is uh, this young person's uh, response, apologize to my or our grandparents. This one was actually one of my favorite uh, responses. I saw a group of three girls huddled in the corner together. They were high school students. They were all over there busy uh, doing their thing. Uh, I couldn't really see what they were doing. But when they got up, there was these big yellow letters and it said, you know, if you're so sorry, give us back the Black Hills. And I thought that was so funny and so smart, you know, because in the end, it really comes down, right? Relationships, you know, all of these things come down to a kind of agreements, right? And so I think in many ways, you can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but we, we do have particular agreements, for example, the Black Hills, that it was agreed upon that that was our land. So I just thought for, especially for young people, 14, 15, 16, it was so smart. This is my um, um, grandma, Grandma Shah. Her name was Mabel Long Soldier. And um, she came, she was in her, she was like 90 something when she came. She has passed away now, um, but that was so sweet and such an honor. Um, she came to the exhibit and then we have some comments here behind her. Better than an apology would be to honor your promises and so on. Do you want, okay, I can show you one more quick project. Uh, this is titled Midakuye Oyasin. And this is more recent work just within the last, it's actually still traveling. This is an exhibit that is still, I don't know where it's at right now, but it is being shown somewhere. I have lost track <laughs> at this point, but Midakuye uh, Oyasin in our language translates to, um, we are all related or all my relatives, something like that. And so um, this is a phrase that is very central, central to uh, Lakota sort of worldview. It is also a phrase that you will hear very often if you go to like yeah. um, native, like native gatherings where, you know, native issues are being discussed or whatever. A lot of times uh, you'll often hear like public speakers um, use this phrase, like when they end their presentations or whatever. And even people who are not Lakota, like other tribes, they sometimes use this phrase. So uh, my, um, I have two other uh, friends, Lakota friend, artists, who were interested in like sort of uh, unfolding this phrase a bit more uh, because it's often used as a way to create easy familiarity, quick familiarity without understanding that to say we are related, to say you're a relative is actually also an agreement. It's a contract. And also a way of understanding that we are not just related to other human beings, we are related to everything around us in Lakota view, like all of creation. So we do understand that we, we are related, we have a relationship, for example, with the plant world, even with the star world, what have you. So um, 
again, I'm going to be, I could talk all night, but I'm going to be mindful of time. What I did quickly was this was a, a pattern I used for a star quilt. This is what's called a star quilt. I don't know if you guys ever go to the Plains area, Northern Plains, you'll see these all over the place. So Lakota people give each other star quilts a lot of the time for all kinds of reasons, uh, birth, uh, high school graduation, college graduation, even when people pass away, everybody brings the family star quilts, all kinds of things. So by the time you're an old person, you usually have a whole stack of star quilts. Uh, so I had a pattern for this exhibit, a sewing pattern, but what I did was I, I, uh, uh, what do you call it, enlarged those pieces, those pattern pieces, those diamonds to one foot long each. And uh, this is heavy cotton paper instead of sewing with fabric. I ordered paper from India, cotton paper. And I sewed the pieces together with um, copper wire and I made poems for each section and I um, laser cut the, the text into the, the pieces. So this is my kitchen table. It's hard to tell, but this is actually six feet long from top to bottom. There's six pieces running through the center. You can see those are, uh, so this whole section is six feet long. When I sewed all eight sections together, this is what it looked like. So this uh, star quilt, it's not really quilt, but is uh, in the end, it was 12 feet high by 12 feet wide. I wrote all of these poems listening to interviews with various uh, community members, uh, six women from our community talking about me, they were talking about, um, you know, uh, in our language, like the, the, the larger context and also the his, historical context of, of what that means to us as Lakota people. And so I sat and I listened to many hours of those interviews. I took notes and then um, I sat with all those ideas and I, I wrote some poems. I'm just going to read one of them and we'll close with that one of those sections. Anyway, this piece was titled Mosquitoes. So I had stencils in there. Oh, look, I got, I got tattoos of mosquitoes too. I could give you a whole lecture on mosquitoes. They're considered our relatives too, just letting you know. Uh, and how many of us have relatives who are like mosquitoes, right? Oh my God, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> they just exist. You can't get rid of them. Okay, I'm gonna read this piece and we'll close here. You'll see that the way that the, the diamond worked, I uh, made it so that the viewers, the reader can create their own, their own um, poem, depending on what way you want to move down the, the diamond. So uh, I'll read it and then you guys, you know, at some point you can make your own or you can read it and make your own piece. As we embrace the future, we work to understand the grief we shift into light across our faces. As we embrace the present, we struggle to find the grief we shift into light across our faces. As we resist the present, we struggle to unbraid the grief we wield into light across our faces. As we resist the past, we begin to accept the grief we wield as ash across our faces. As we resist the past, we fail to question the grief we bury 
as ash across our faces. So I think we'll end there. Um, and yeah, th this was that was a really beautiful series to work with. Um, that piece, for example, was inspired by uh, one of the women in our community talking about grief and how we need to uh, care for that, take care of that in order to be good relatives to other people, to, to others uh, in our lives. So it's very important to address some of that, not only personal grief, but historical and community grief as well. So I'll end there. And then I guess if we have any questions or anything, we can address those. Thank you so much, Lely. Um, questions, let's see if uh, anybody can raise their hand and ask Lely anything you wish about any of the work she's talked about tonight. I'll just ask a quick question. If you, I know that students always like to hear, like, how did you start writing? How did uh, poetry come to life for you and come to be something that you, you did? I will be very honest. Um, I can't, you know, when I was younger, I was, I, I didn't really, I can't say I was um, interested in becoming a writer or a poet as a young person. And I feel like I came into poetry and writing um, in a way um, through the back door or accidentally. Um, I came to a fork a crossroads in my life uh, when I knew that I needed to go back to school. I needed to go to college because I used to play music when I was young. Um, I played music, but I uh, also worked a day job. And really for music, I wasn't really getting anywhere. I mean, it's, it's very humbling to admit that, but the doors were not opening as I would have, as I hoped they would. And then what was happening is I was working very unsatisfying jobs, you know, as a barista or in the office jobs or what have you. And I felt like actually my soul, my spirit was not, was screaming, <laughs> was crying, was saying, I'm not being utilized. I'm not being uh, fulfilled. So I, I had to do something else. I decided to go back to school and I decided to go to the Institute of American Indian Arts uh, because I was actually afraid to go to school. But my dad went to that school and I thought, well, if my dad could do it, ho hopefully, or maybe I could do it too. So um, I was encouraged by that. And so I, I went to enroll. I remember going there and talking to them and they did not have a music program. I wanted to study music, they had no music. And so like the second best to me was, I was like, oh, okay, well, I looked at their list and I was like, well, maybe I'll try creative writing. But I was just like, mm. you know, <laughs> like I, I was, it was like a shrug, like, okay, I guess I'll try this. Uh, if I don't like it, I'll try, you know, painting or sculpture or something. So uh, that's how I kind of got into my studies. But when I started studying, um, it was very surprising. I found out that I had abilities that I didn't really know I had. Um, for example, uh, as a young person, for example, this is really funny. Like, I'm serious. When I was a young person, laying laying on the couch thinking was an activity for me <laughs> thinking I was and I laugh I'm laughing at that because like I have a daughter now and if she was just laying there all the time just thinking I would probably worry about her because she's a very active person so I, I might worry as a parent but my family let me do that and it turns out I just thought that was being myself or being weird. But when I got into uh, 
writing and poetry, I found out that all that kind of weird thinking and processing and, and connecting, uh, you know, uh, ideas like disparate ideas or what have you, it had a use. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a skill until I, I got into poetry. Can you imagine? That's an actual skill. That's an ability. Uh, also critical thinking. I, I got into the classroom and we started discussing things and I found out there's a use for uh, a way that I had of, of seeing things or thinking about things. It was actually useful in the, you know, in our discussions. And, and so my whole world sort of opened up and I didn't know that those were real things. <laughs> Thinking was like a real thing. So I came into writing through the back door. That was a very long uh, answer. But oh, that was great to hear. Thank you. I see um, Sarah has her hand up. Well, first, I just wanted to thank you for coming and reading and talking with us. I've been so excited for this day for literally like a year since I found out you were coming. <laughs> um, and um, I wanted to ask, so um, like reading your work and specifically whereas um, has led to, I think Amra mentioned in the beginning, like this four year conversation about forgiveness um, between us. And um, so I'm curious, like what your thoughts about forgiveness are now um, and like if your perceptions of forgiveness have changed throughout your life due to like any experiences um, and like you can take this in a million different ways so like please like go wherever you want with this question. One thing I was thinking about the other day is because um, I do actually ponder this this idea of apology and forgiveness maybe because I wrote a whole book on it. So it is something that recurs. I, I kind of, I still ruminate on it or reflect on it here and there. The other day I was thinking about the idea that uh, forgiveness, I was thinking about ways in which I have, or times at which I have forgiven certain things. It is not something that can be demanded and it cannot be rushed. And I think there's a certain process, at least I noticed in myself, a process that I have had to go through before I can reach that place of being able to forgive, right? So I, there's sometimes we, there's a certain level of maybe pain and healing that we have to go through before we're ready for that place of forgiveness, right? So maybe like, using that that poem with my father for example i actually was ready to hear him you know as a young person in my 20s was very different than I, when i was in a teenager when i was a teenager i was angry you know and i was rebelling and i was whatever at, in my 20s i was moving into a different level of maturity and i was ready to hear him and i you know uh, we were ready to change and grow as a family. So, uh, and I think about that on a communal level, a societal level. Also, I, I might think about some of our communities, some of our people, I mean, certainly um, native people, you know, I can, I'm a part of the native community. So I think in those terms, there are other communities who have uh, been through difficult things. <laughs> and difficult uh, years and eras. Um, and so it's possible also that, you know, I, I think in the native community, there's quite a bit of healing that, you know, we're still addressing, we're growing, we're changing, to be quite honest. Ah, so here's an example. For example, when I was young, um, I was reflecting on this with my daughter. When I was young, our generation, I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of me and my friends, for example, we were very um, uh, hesitant and maybe ashamed sometimes of our native languages and some of our ways of doing things. Um, 
you know, it was something that we weren't really uh, all out with, you know. Um, we were, I, I remember just being a little bit quieter with certain things. But my daughter's generation, for example, and her cousins, her relatives, they are so different. They are so proud to speak their language, to learn um, songs, to know um, certain things about our beliefs and our stories and things like that. And they're very, they, they feel happy, they celebrate it, you know? Um, and, I, I, and you don't have to force them or anything to learn anything that they want to. So I, I think about how quickly things are changing in our communities and we're healing, you know, our children are much different than I was and much different than my dad was. So uh, we're going through different stages, uh, you know, as humans, humanity. And so, um, yeah, I'm thinking that maybe if it, it goes on both parts, there needs to be sincerity for forgiveness to happen and also there needs some some healing on the other side of things too. Yeah, hello. Uh, I have um, two questions, one for Lily and one for uh, for the host. Uh, for Lily, uh, I want to say thank you uh, because um, I'm a foreigner and English is my second language, but when I, I read your poem, I can understand. Uh, so I want to say thank you for, for you uh, being understandable for me. And when I read your poem, I, I felt that uh, when you wrote this poem, you were full of emotion and inspiration. So uh, is there any time you felt like you run out of, uh, you ran out of inspiration and what did you do to find the, the inspiration again? Oh my gosh, what a question. I'm actually facing that right now. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know if it's the pandemic or the times we're in. I feel unable to right now, presently to um, sit with the page and to be quite honest, to sit and this is gonna sound irreverent, but to sit and uh, worry over a line or a word the way that I used to. <laughs> and that's our job as poets, you know, to, to be so careful with each line, each line break, the space on the page. But I feel lately so um, consumed by uh, the time that we're in, the worries, the concerns we have with health, um, with social uprising and so on. Uh, it's, it's been hard for me to settle myself and to be able to focus. Um, the, the one thing I know is that if I do make things, I want it to be good. <laughs> so I feel accountable to some sort of like thing in my head where I, I if I'm going to write, I need to, uh, I need to do it well. I need to be serious about it. And so, I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time answering your question. I really appreciate your question, but I'm having a hard time. I'm actually in a in a stage right now that is, um, I I'm struggling to to find um, that kind of impulse to write poems at the moment. When you were talking about and showing us the buffalo robe and talking about how you created things out of accessible materials, it um, it reminded me of whereas and how in the end you make it known that the apology is accessible online. And so my question is, how do you find poetry or I guess maybe how rather how do you make poetry and art out of 
what is already accessible or what is already right in front of you? Well, actually, can I can I share my screen again? I'll give you an example. Like I said, I'm having a hard time writing right now, but I still use art or I still need art to feel alive and to feel uh, present and engaged. I'm at my best energy level. It, art helps me feel um, my fullest self. So I'm gonna share screen really quick to show you something that was completely in a way ridiculous <laughs> and um, absurd, but I did it to save our art, to save our spirits, to lift our spirits. I collaborated with my daughter and this has to do with accessible materials. Uh, we found some tumbleweeds way out in the middle of nowhere. And for years, whenever I see tumbleweeds, I have the urge to put it on my head. I don't know why. So this was a few weeks ago. Actually, it's only been a couple of weeks. Um, the pandemic has been very heavy and, and kind of it's dragging on. And, and my daughter is also, you know, she just started high school. She has to work all day online. So we wanted to do something that just brought us happiness. So we actually took these tumbleweeds and made hats out of them. And we went to various locations in uh, Santa Fe. I only have one picture here, but we went to various locations in Santa Fe and took pictures. Like we went to the plaza, we went to a car wash, we went here to Camel Rock and so on. And I did actually uh, write uh, some some uh, two pieces to accompany those uh, photographs and we collaborated with uh, two other native artists who photographed us so it turned out to be something it was just completely based on like uh, something that made my that tickled me I want to say you know that made me feel happy and it brought my daughter uh, joy as well, uh, just to go around with these ridiculous tumbleweed hats and um, take photographs. But those materials are accessible. That's what I actually love is that tumbleweeds are so overlooked. I mean, they're just stuck to a fence somewhere, right? Anybody can grab one, um, but they're so majestic in a way too, which I love. So um, I don't know. Okay. Um I understand um, amidst, amidst the uh, pandemic, it's been harder for you to um, kind of stay focused on your work, but um, when the pandemic eventually ends, do you think that your time um, kind of being um, in like a quarantine situation, do you think it would give you more inspiration on some future um, poems you may write? I'm hoping. <laughs> I will say this. I mean, I do actually have a, you know, some things I have been meditating on. I have been thinking, I actually do have a title for my um, next book. It's titled We, which um, if you write the word we uh, in English, it means us, right? Or it's the plural pronoun, um, but also in Lakota language, if you put an accent over we, that is, that's pronounced we, and that means blood. So I've been thinking about this idea of connection, and especially because in my previous work, I have avoided using the, the pronoun we. I think I only used it in my book um, a few times. I'm very careful about I have always been very um, conscious about not speaking for anyone else but myself um, and not to speak for a whole, a whole group of people, like all Native people, because um, we have a lot of sort of um, protocol around that in our communities. So, um, however, um, going back to what I talked about earlier, you know, definitely in Lakota um, culture, there is also this idea, continual idea of relationship and being real and how we are related to everything and every everyone around us. So 
Um, I have been meditating on that. I do actually have a few pieces um, that are coming together, in, including those, um, you saw the, the star quilt pieces. Um, there's a lot of things. It's kind of building, but it's slow. <laughs> it's like slowly percolating, but there is a kind of, um, I feel like a, a train of thought or a thesis, if you will, um, that that's coming together. So I think I'm a little hard on myself when I say I, I can't write it all. I have been writing a little bit, but little by little it's growing. So I think, yes, maybe when the times change, pandemic changes, um, some of that might open up. I'm still trying to make myself though work and keep going, even though it's slow. Okay then, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you everybody for coming tonight. Um, and thank you so much, Laylee. I feel like if everybody unmutes themselves, can we, we unmute people? We're unmuting. Let, let's uh, give Laylee a round of applause. Thank you so, so much for spending this evening with us. It was really wonderful. Um, very grateful to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, it's a pleasure being here. All right. Um. All right. Good night, everybody.